we do say thank you. And as we drink the cup, we declare his death until he comes again. Let us do that together. Well, you may be seated, and let's turn to the word that gives us life. be in Proverbs chapter 24 this morning, and as you turn there, I want us to think about our mission. I want us to think about the mission of Oak Park Baptist Church. Our mission statement, if you, if you have your bulletin, those of you who look at these, on the front... So as we exist to, in the community of Jeffersonville to love Jesus, to love people, and to help people love Jesus. Now if you think about it, such a mission statement really is not that unique. At least it shouldn't be. We shouldn't have been the only people who've ever thought of that. It's really just a fancy way of combining two missions of, of the church declared by Jesus in the Gospels. That is, namely, the, the great commandments, love God and, and love neighbor, and couple that with the great commission to go make disciples. And these things should be the mission of goal of really every true church, right? Every church that says it is under the banner of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we are, we are soldiers under orders, well, these are our marching orders. Love God, love neighbor. And bring others, people, to do it with you. So while this mission statement, it's rather simple. It's not hard to understand, but the task is weighty. It's really indicative of Jesus, isn't it? He, he would say so many things that were simple on the surface. But when you begin to press into it, and better yet, when they begin to press into our hearts... There's a lot more than maybe meets the eye. Must care, much care, excuse me, must be put into gospel ministry. This weighty task that we are called to. And contrary to popular opinion, means matter. Just because we claim to do ministry under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing so. A lot of people go out in the name of Christ. You've even seen in Matthew 7, many will do things in my name, but at the end of the day, he will say, I never knew you. And so just to say, yes, we're all about Jesus Christ, we're Christ-centered, we're gospel-centered, we're, we're Bible people, that should be so, but that, just because we say it doesn't mean it necessarily is. This morning, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 through 12. But before we get there, I'm going to draw our attention to the scripture that I read, the pastoral prayer from 1 Corinthians 3. You don't necessarily need to turn there, but if you want to put a finger in Proverbs and, and flip over to 1 Corinthians, I, I thought this would be a helpful way to set our context this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth who is enamored with the wisdom of the world. 
In particular, they're propping up different leaders. They had their preacher that they really liked. They, they had their group, and that was causing divisions amongst them. And Paul is writing to them about ministry, how it really works, and how boasting in individuals or in your group or your clique and in, 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 in human means is really contrary to gospel ministry. Because gospel ministry is really not a human endeavor. It's a divine one. Yet, obviously, God uses human means to accomplish such missions. And so Paul begins to exhort them. And, and notice in verse, at the end of verse 10, he says, Let each one, let's just let that sink in for us. Let each one of you, each one of us, take care how he builds Upon it, builds upon the foundation that was laid in the establishment of the church. That's what he's talking about. It reminds them that the church can only be laid on one foundation, that is Jesus Christ. But he also wants the church to understand and to pay careful attention to how they build upon it, how they do ministry. And notice he, he begins to say in verse 11. I mean, verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation, and then he lists a, a group of materials, gold, silver, precious stones, and then wood, hay, and straw. He's talking here in a symbolic fashion about building with materials that are going to last versus building with materials that aren't. Now what are these things? Well, I think... In the context of this passage, it's talking about building with the wisdom of God or not. You can do a lot of things and, and put a stamp on it that says, well, that's Christian ministry. But it could be wood, hay, and straw. And oftentimes, and the irony of it is that the Corinthians, and oftentimes I would say each and every one of us, were drawn to the flashiness. Maybe you're thinking right now, real ministry happened last Sunday because we put on a show. Not really, but there was more people. We, we, we pulled out all the stops. When maybe today is the day that the Lord is actually going to work. When, I don't know, maybe 75% of the people who are here last Sunday are here. And maybe that's the gold, silver, precious stones. What, what are these? These are building with God's wisdom, but they represent people. What's the only thing that lasts in the end? It's not going to be this building. It's not going to be these chairs. It's not going to be these clothes. It's going to be those who have been one with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we begin to think about ministry, and particularly the ministry of the foolishness of the cross, which is the wisdom of God, which God is pleased to save those who which will believe. We need to take this wisdom and make sure that it's reflected in everything that we do. That Oak Park reflects the wisdom of the cross and not the wisdom of man. And as a result, ministry built on the wisdom of God, as we're going to see, produces genuine converts. That will survive the judgment. That's exactly what he's talking about here. 
when he's talking about one's work. If anyone, if the work, verse 14, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. I take that as, as the work of the ministry that was faithful and produced fruits that will last. And there will be some who have not who've done that to a greater or lesser degree of faithfulness. It's not like an issue of salvation here. But we'll find out at the end of the day how much work Oak Park did on the day the Lord comes back. We will. Many of us think it happens because we, we counted the numbers, we got a report, we gave a giving statement at the, at the welcome. Well, then we did it. Well, we'll find out on the day in which the Lord reveals all things. So verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, if we begin to judge the standard of ministry and begin to pursue a path of ministry that is conforming and acceptable to this present age, well, let us become fools, that we may become wise. And to do such ministry is going to take courageous wisdom. And so this is where I want us to flip back to Proverbs chapter 24. Because this is exactly what Solomon is exhorting his sons to. His sons are going to be heirs of the throne. They are going to lead the people of God. And he's calling them to be courageous leaders. And so this morning, I want to call us, I want to call some of you to be courageous, wise leaders. I hope to spur our minds, maybe stir your heart, prick your curiosity of what that might look like in your life. And so here in Proverbs chapter 24, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3, and we're going to go all the way to verse 12. Solomon writes, and he says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool, and the gate he does not open his mouth. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer, and the devisings of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does he who, not, who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Sounds very similar to what Paul said, isn't it? We'll receive our reward on that day, and we'll find out if we are faint on that day of adversity. And so he's calling his sons, and, and, and by extension, the word and the Lord is calling us, are we going to be those who faint on the day of adversity? Are we going to be those who buckle when trouble comes? Well, it's my prayer that we would not, and that we'd be a church that stands upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, that stands upon the word of God and like we'll see in verse 11, we'll be those who run to trouble to rescue those from death. 
So what is that going to look like? Well, in this passage, I want to draw out four characteristics of courageous leaders who will build what will last. We want this church and the ministry to last, right? A couple of you do. All right, here we go. We want it to last, right? You want your life to count, right? You want the things that you do to matter? Well, this is how we go about it. Here are the four characteristics that we're going to see. We're going to see that courageous leaders lead by wisdom. They lead in community. They lead with integrity. And they lead with a purpose. So let's look at this first one. We lead by wisdom. These words of Solomon to his son mirror the beginning of the book where he exhorts us to obtain wisdom. And he exhorts his sons not to be enticed by uh, the, the appeals of sinners who, who fill their houses with precious goods by means of unjust gain. In other words, Solomon writes to us not to build our lives upon folly. And what is folly? Folly is taking advantage of others to advantage ourselves. If you just want to put it that way, whether it's the sluggard, I don't want to work. Or it's the babbler who wants everybody to listen, but never wants to listen to anyone else. Or it's the one who pursues the forbidden woman and does not care what happens to his family or what happens to anyone else. He will take, she will take what is his and hers. And he warns his sons, if you're going to lead, you cannot be like that. Leaders are to be the examples to God's people. And so Solomon says this is going to take courage. Now notice the analogy he says in verse verse 3. He says, by wisdom a house is built. Now obviously he is not trying to instruct his kids in architecture. He's not saying, hey, here's some tips on how to to get your best DeWalt tools and and, and you'll build a, a very skilled home. If you just watch Fixer Upper or HGTV, you know, if you'll do these things, you're going to build a house that lasts. That's not what he's talking about here. He's using it in a a metaphorical sense. You may think of it this way. What did Jesus say? Let me tell you about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And let me tell you about the, the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. How do you tell who built where? find out when the storm comes. That's the same thing that we're seeing with Paul in 1 Corinthians. How are you going to find out if your ministry is built with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble when the storm comes? Sons, when are you going to find out if you are a courageous leader? Well, if you do not faint on the day of adversity. The house can represent one's life, but it can also represent the kingdom. David, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he he prayed and and he asked that he might build the Lord a house. And he was talking about the temple, but what did the Lord say? No, I'm going to build you a house. And what was that house? That was the kingdom. That was the kingdom of Israel. That was a people. That was a, a people known and called out of darkness into light for the praise of God's glory. And so Solomon is writing here to his sons who are going to one day rule. And we're learning, what does it look like to do kingdom work here? Well, by wisdom, the house is built. And so if we're going to be leaders, 
And at any level here in this church, we, if we want it to last, we want it to be established, we want it to be built, well, what are the means? It's the first two words in verse 3, right? By wisdom. By wisdom this happens. And he gives some other virtues at the, at the end of verse 3. By understanding it is established, it's fixed, it, it's, it's firmed up. In verse 4, by knowledge the rooms are filled, you decorate it. It, it, it's, it's a spacious home, something you want to be in that, that brings joy and blessing to your life. It'll be by knowledge. We've seen these things. These all were in, in Proverbs chapter 1. This is almost like Solomon's coming back around and saying, hey, this is, 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 is what the wise must do, but you are going to be the leader of the wise. Ultimately, we find this fulfillment in Jesus, don't we? Who's the one in whom the fullness of wisdom dwells. Here he is given to under shepherds and leaders and equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and he calls us to be those who lead with wisdom. And so this wisdom, whatever you're building, whether it's the church, which the church is made up of family, so the dads and moms, as you're leading your, your family, this applies to you. You want to build a house that lasts, build with wisdom. Families are made up, made up of individuals. You want to live a life that counts, a life that lasts, that, that is established, that, that walks with Jesus, that knows the blessings of the Lord, will we'll lead it by wisdom. So what are these terms, knowledge? What does that mean? It's the virtue of knowing wisdom through the Word of God. So how do we do that? How do we lead? We must be leaders who are, who are they're strapped to the Word. And that's, that's pretty much folly, isn't it? Why would we give ourselves to something that was written over thousands of years ago, over a period of thousands of years, by, by, by different people from every stripes and background, and yet we're sitting here on this Sunday morning giving ourselves to this ancient document and saying we're going to build our life upon it. Because it's the means by which we come to know God. It's the means by which the fear of the Lord is cultivated, by which we, we, we know God. And so those who are going to lead God's people must be those who know God and are committed to the Scripture, who are meditating on it, who are, who are, are embodying the Scripture. And that's really what's behind the heart of understanding. That is the virtue of knowing how to apply God's wisdom rightly and for what is good and what is just. How to, how to walk with the Lord and, and lean upon Him and not on your own understanding so that He'll make your paths straight. Furthermore, we've learned in Proverbs that it was by wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that God established the earth. Did you know that? This is what Proverbs 3, 19 and 20 says, The Lord, by wisdom, so you're, you're seeing how He built, by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding He established the heavens. By His knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down with the dew. All the blessings of, the, uh, of this world, they come through the wisdom of God. And therefore, as we think about pursuits of our own lives in this church, we want to be building with God's tools. We don't want the DeWalt tools. I want the ones that says God's wisdom on the box, right? God's wisdom. Do you know what that box looks like? It's the one that's all broken and tattered. It's kind of ripped open when you go to the store and you're like, well, I don't want that one. I want the one that's still got the plastic straps on the back and, 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 and all perfectly clean on the outside. 
So I'll, I'll do that one. It's God's wisdom to destroy the wisdom of the wise. By these virtues that anything of lasting value is established and the riches of God's blessings are enjoyed. So what does that look like for us as New Covenant believers? What does that look for us as Christians? Uh, this is written to, to Solomon's sons and, and the, the theocracy of Israel. Well, what does that look like for us as New Covenant believers? Well, it means that we must build our lives upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And this looks like in two ways. We, we confess Christ and we confess. We, we are conformed to Christ. That's the knowledge. We confess Christ. We confess that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We confess that by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that all things were created through Him and for Him. We confess that Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. We confess that Christ is the head of the church. We confess that Christ is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We confess that Christ is, uh, that in Christ is all the, the fullness of, of God was pleased to dwell. And we confess that through Christ God was pleased to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That is our confession. That is what we sing, that is what we just took part in in the Lord's Supper, that is what we're doing as we open up the Word. We are confessing that Christ is Lord and He's preeminent over all. We cannot just confess these things and not be conformed to them. That's understanding. We apply these things, we embody them. So not only do we confess great truths that were beyond us, even beyond our comprehension, but we demonstrate our understanding of them by conforming our lives to Christ. As Paul will say elsewhere, we, we put off the old man and we put on the new man. We put on the new self. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We, we, we cultivate the mind of Christ. We, we walk with Him. We subject ourselves to Christ's lordship and, by, and His rule by denying ourselves and following Him. In other words, we embody the wisdom of Christ that we confessed. I want you to see this is exactly what Paul does in 1 Corinthians. So if you want to go back there, we're going to go to, we are in chapter 3, now back up to chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're just going to look at verses 1, and five, one through 5. Roman holy, the, the, not holy Roman Empire, but just the ancient Roman Empire very much like our day. It's not as technologically advanced, but it was full of might and pomp. It was the center of the world. It was where all the happenings were, ha were occurring, where the, the wisest of all people were there and the most eloquent. And so you would think, hey, Paul, if you're going to plant a church there, you better bring your A game. But notice what Paul says in beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So there's what he knew. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But look at what he does. He embodies that truth. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, 
but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. What a pity it would be if we were able to do what the best of men could do. And we were able to pack out this house. But yet everybody's faith rested in the wisdom of men. That doesn't mean that we don't want people to be here, but we want them to come by the power of God. I was having a conversation with one of our members this week whose parents are trying to forbid them to come here. One of the reasons they said is because it's boring there. All they do is open up the Bible. They just sing. there's, There's nothing entertaining there. And they said, we don't want you to go there. And I was very encouraged by this individual who said, well, that's why I want to go there. The Bible's preached. This was just a teenage boy. This is what Paul's talking about. Therefore, brothers and sisters, if we're going to lead in wisdom, we must confess Christ in all his beauty and splendor so that our lives, our families, and our churches brought in conformity to him. In the memorable world, words of Charles Studd, you might not know he is, but you probably know this phrase, only one life will soon be passed, only what is done for Christ will last. This is what we want to give ourselves to. However, such leadership is not to be done in isolation. You need to be a team player. You need courageous leaders lead in community. And this is exactly what he says in verses 5 and 6. Solomon knows the challenges that are going to face his sons who lead the nation of Israel. And no leader wants to be perceived as weak, do they? Rather, they want to be perceived as strong. They want to be mighty. This is true of any leader. Nobody wants to be known as the weakling, right? Nobody wants to follow someone who isn't strong. I've never heard someone say, you know what, I'm so glad for our organization, our leader is so weak. Anytime I hear, he has weak leadership, oh, that's bad. That's bad. No, we're thankful for our leaders because they're strong, we say, right? Well, what is strength? What is strength? The Lord repeats to his leaders in Deuteronomy, preparing the kings for Israel to understand where true strength lies. Lord lays out several stipulations in, in Deuteronomy 17 for, for what the king is to do and what the king is not to do. And, and some of the things that he, he, he stipulates, the Lord stipulates for the king, is one, do not acquire for yourself many horses. What's that? Don't put your trust in an army. That, that sounds like a great idea. Start a nation. Don't trust, don't build as many horses as possible. Okay, good, good idea. All right, number two. Do not have many wives. Now, most of us were like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Well, well for, for in the ancient Near East, do you have many wives? That was your political allies. All right, so, so don't make many allies. <laughs> okay? Sounds like a great war strategy. And number three, do not acquire excessive wealth. Okay, that's great. So let's build a a nation that does not have a great army, that does not pursue allies, um, and does not have much money. 
okay, that's, that's exactly what we'll do. That's exactly what Israel did not do, right? The irony here is that Solomon broke all three, and that was the end of his kingdom. No, they were to abide what the psalmist wrote. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. That, that goes against all wisdom, doesn't it? Good thing we're not running the nation, right? We're, we're, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the church. So what is true strength? Slick website? It's not wrong to have these things. We, we want to do things with excellence, but is that where the power is? A great marketing scheme. I had, I had a pastor come up to me and say, yeah, I just love how your church is lit up. I was thankful. You know, I, guess I, I guess I haven't really noticed when we drove by, but it's lit up at night. Those are good things, but is that where our strength is? Or, oh, wow, we are, we've got the latest uh, program that will just make everything so great. No, we've got it down. We've got, we've got leaders coming in from all over the country to, to see how we've done it. You literally know that I get things in the mail that are literally a church in a box. That's what they are. It's a franchise system. Hey, do you want your church to make a difference? That's exactly what the taglines are. Hey, bu- here's a box, and inside you got all our sample materials. And if you will implement our program, it will work. We promise we're living proof of it. And I get that every day. I see it on my, my targeted ads because I somehow the internet knows who I am. And, and, and it knows I'm a pastor. From the t-shirts that wants to sell me to, hey, leader, if you want to fill the empty seats in your pews, do what we say. That looks like strength. Let's listen to the top gurus. Let's get all these people in and let's do it. And you know what none of the boxes ever have in it? A Bible. I want to send out the box that says, do this and your church will last. And it has a Bible and it says, preach it. That's what I want. So that won't sell. I won't build much. So where's our strength going to come from? Well, notice in verse 5, it says, a wise man is full of strength. It's a play on words. Your strength is your wisdom. So this is kind of like the same point already. And a man of knowledge, he enhances his might. You might think strength comes from, from getting your P90X on or, 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 or lifting weights. No, he says, no, you want to be a strong king? Growing your knowledge of the Lord. But notice what he says here. This, this is how you'll grow in knowledge. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And by abundance of counselors, there is victory. True strength comes from wisdom, and such wisdom and strength is enhanced by wise guidance, by counselors. So let me ask you, church family, where are you getting your wise counsel? Who are the people that you have in your life who can speak into you? Are you the only one who gets to speak into people's lives? Who are the people you seek out to make decisions? Whether it's buying this home or selling that or I'm going to move away. I'm going to pursue this job. Do you listen to them? Rehoboam, who no doubt would have been taught these things, did not listen to the wise counsel around him. 
Instead, he got his friends, the closest ones he knew. They were the same age. And, he, and, and, he, and they said, no, you want to be strong. Go out there. Don't be showing some weak leadership. Don't go out there and weigh out some wet noodle on these people. No, you show them you're strong, and you're stronger than your dad, Solomon. And so he came out here, and he said, this pinky, and it's thicker than my daddy's loins, okay? And so you're going to, yeah, Dana's like, what's that? Get a Bible dictionary, okay? Uh, <clears throat> he says, I'll, I'll lead with strength and might. What happened, the whole kingdom divided, and Israel never recovered. Here at Oak Park, this is why we emphasize community. That's why it's one of the, the, the three main uh, uh, core principles of Oak Park, worship, discipleship, community. It's the primary way that we cultivate, or the primary way we cultivate such community. It happens in various capacities, but a primary way is through community groups. It's not the only way, but it's the primary way. I think about 60 to 70% of you, our membership, are in a community group. Now, we recognize there are some of you who are in amazing grades and involved in some other things. Some of the students, they're, they're involved on Wednesday nights. There's, there's community. Some of you are involved in, in different things in the church, and, and you're building community. But for most of us, it's going to happen in these community groups. Well, what are they? Community groups are where Oak Parks lives out the mission of the church with one another. It's where you make gospel friendships. It's where accountability partners are developed. It's not the time for accountability time. Some of you want your community group to be an AA meeting. No one wants to come, okay? But that's where you can go develop those relationships, and that happens. That happens. It's where discipleship relationships form. I know uh, with uh, Eric Dunn and Jeff Pridgen out of our community group, that, that has just spurred up, and they go to coffee crossings now. They didn't even know each other until they got together. They're, they're working through things. They're discipling one another. It's where you can meet godly people who can pour into your life. It's also where you can meet people whom God wants you to pour into their life. On a leadership level, Elders, deacons, staff, key leaders in various positions. We cannot lead in a vacuum, but rather must lead in community. Each of us have, have leaders and volunteers we serve with. Just so you know, one of the things that, that the elders have been trying to do, and we're, we're getting there and moving more, is that every deacon actually should be leading a team. They should be communicating. You might say, well, I'm on a team. I don't hear from my deacon. Well, go, go let them know. Or elders, they're overseeing spheres, and they have things in staff. They have different spheres. And one of the things I'm pressing all of our leaders to do, are you leading amongst your team? Are you getting buy-in from them? Are you talking with them? Are you, are you having them over to your house? Are you, are you interacting with them, or are you just sending them an email every now and then? Are you cultivating a working relationship with people where they feel valued and part of the team? And that also means if you're the leader, you better be a team player. And I know the pressures. You think you're the king of the world. You can do it right. And some of us are very, some of you are very gifted. We have teams. And the Lord meant to have counsel that protects us from foolishness. Let me ask you, do you see those who are on your team as merely the instruments to get what you want done accomplished? Or do you see them as valued team members, part of your group 
people the Lord's entrusted to your leadership and care. This is a little bit of a hobby horse. I was telling our elders just the other night, we better not be just sending people emails. Are we talking to people? Are we sitting down? We're working through, uh, obviously we're in a pastoral transition right now. And we're, 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 we're leading forward and, 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 and bringing a candidate to you. And we're working through channels. And, and I sat down before our leaders and I said, I've spoken in person or on the phone or over coffee to 25 or to 30 people in our church. Some of them I engaged. Because I knew, hey, you're, you, you, know, you got kids in that ministry. I want to know what you, you think. Hey, you're on the music team. I want to know what you think. What, what are your thoughts? And, and I said to our elders, who have you talked to? I say the same thing to our deacons. You want more communication? Well, who are you talking to? What are you doing? Be a courageous leader. Don't wait. Start leading. We want to seek input. We want to test ideas. We want to listen. We want to view our team as an asset. And if the only time people on our teams hear from us is when we need them to do something, we're not going to have a ministry that lasts. Because we're not building with wood. We're building with wood, hay, and stubble, not gold, silver, precious stones. We're resting on our own wisdom and might. Courageous leaders, they also lead with integrity. Lead with counsel and community, but they lead with integrity. Look at verses 7 through 9. Wisdom is too high for a fool. and the gate, he does not open his mouth. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer, and devising a folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. This one's pretty self-straightforward, right? He's warning his son, don't be a fool. Don't be incompetent. No one listens to the fool. That's what he's saying. He does not open his mouth in the gate. Let me throw this out to you. If you think you're a leader, let me ask you, who's following you? Every now and then I have people come, I'm a leader, put me in charge. Okay, well, lead something. Who's following you? Well, if you would put me in charge, I'd have people. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. I think of Joshua Page. He came here four, almost five years ago. New believer. Comes in, you knew him, all in skinny jeans and gelled up. Where are you? There he is. He's wearing a coat and a tie today. I couldn't, not a tie, but he's got a jacket on. I didn't recognize him. Comes in, I'm a student pastor. I want to serve. I want to serve. I said, you know what? Why don't you just be faithful and show up for a semester? And I remember you were kind of taken off by it. I said, just, just why don't you be here and just observe for a semester? He said, okay. Semester came up. It was almost the very end. We're driving somewhere. He said, hey, I've been here for a semester. Can I now talk? <laughs> I said, yeah. And you all know the rest of the story, right? No seminary. Just came in and said, I'm going to serve. And people began to follow. And there's more stories like that. I've got more at the end of my sermon if we get there. Yeah. Well, I might as well. I think of um, Christine Kidd and Betty Sellers. There they are sitting right next to each other. I hear all the time, you know what, we need to be following up on our, our shut-ins. We need to be visiting people. You know what I found out? Mike and I were out on visits. We get a phone call. 
and it's Betty Sellers setting up a scheduling time to come over and bring some cookies. And we're like, hey, we better stay around a little longer so we can get some cookies. You know what I learned that day? They've, they've just taken it upon themselves. We're just going to get the list and start visiting people. That's leadership. They saw a need and they started to meet it. Brandon Hill, Lord saved him, what, three or four years ago? There's a Bible study he meets every Saturday in his barbershop. Wasn't sanctioned, wasn't like, oh, I had to get it cleared. No, Bible just started. Bible study started. You want to lead a Bible study? Start a Bible study. Have people over in your home. Start one. Do it. But this is how it usually happens. Hey, pastor, this should be getting done. This should be happening. I said, well, you want to lead it? Well, no. Oh, <laughs> well, I can't do it all. Or you guys, you do everything. Why don't you let somebody do it? Well, step up. Do it. Start leading. Here's the deal. The fool plans to do evil. He devises folly. What is that? It's selfish. The bottom line is, he's not a servant. What's the recognition? Oh, I wanted to be up front. I wanted to be a sanctioned ministry that, that, that everybody sang my praises. I, I wanted to be recognized. You didn't know about some of these people. You didn't know these things were going on. I had um, Daniel and Sylvia Rodriguez come. They're new to our church. You work at Humana, right? You know what they said? Hey, did you ever think about having an ESL ministry? I'd love to do it. Obviously, I can't do that. We're going to meet, see what happens. That's all it takes. I see a need, and I want to lead that. Okay? We're an equal ministry opportunity church, so long as you're fulfilling the mission of the church. And it's not already something that we're doing, okay? There are some caveats. I'll tell you about the college ministry. I've heard people, we need to be praying more. We need to have a prayer time. We need to do all that. You know what I found out about a month ago is that for... I don't know how long it's been going on, but nearly a year, our college students at 8.15 meet upstairs and they are praying for all of us every Sunday morning. Instead of bemoaning, let's have a prayer service, they just started praying. They just started meeting. That's leadership. And it wasn't about getting recognition. It wasn't about being a sanctioned ministry. It was just people who said, I want to serve the church and I saw a need, I'm going to go do it. And you know what? If you want to join them, go ahead. But you're going to have to be a team player. You might not be the one who leads it and who invented it and got all the praises. You're just going to join in with them. And let's see where that goes. I would love us to have a, a prayer meeting. I really would. Now, I better keep on my sermon or I'm going to run out of time. Finally here, leaders lead with purpose. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. It's a play on words there, isn't it? What's their strength? Wisdom. Here's the point. Leadership's going to have trouble. There's going to be days of adversity and lead up to the day of adversity. But here's what leaders are. Those, verse 11, who rescue others who are being taken away to death. That's the purpose. That's the mission of the church. That's going to take courageous, wise leadership. Wise leadership. 
And all it takes is loving them and saying, I'll go do that. But how often are we, verse 12, behold, we did not know this. I just turned a blind eye. I don't want to get too much involved because then I'm going to be asked to do something, right? We see the needs, but I'll just stay over here. I'll pretend I didn't see that. I see the needs in our community. I know, I know we need some more leaders. I know we need some people to help go visiting when Michelle Anderson and Daniel get a group together to go knock on doors and invite people to Easter, but I'll just pretend I didn't see the sign-up sheet outside. Or I know there are, there are kids that are hurting in our neighborhood and, we're, and our church is really putting a push on that, but you know what, I don't, I don't do kids. I don't, I don't do that. I'm not saying that everybody does the very same thing, but we're, we're, we're looking at how God has gifted us and equipped us, and we're saying, where could I help meet a need in the church, or what is something where the church isn't doing that fits the mission of the church? Well, I could start doing that. And I'm just going to gather some people and say, hey, you want to do this with me? Let's go rescue some people. That was the mission of the king. That was the mission of our Savior, wasn't it? Who perfectly embodied this. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For this reason I have come into the world to seek and to save the lost. That's the wisdom of the cross. I didn't come to be recognized. I didn't come to build a kingdom on this earth. No, my kingdom was not of this world. And this is where I want to call us as a church. Some of you right now are like, I'm ready to lead. I'm ready to do it. Go. Go. If you want help with doing that, come to one of the elders. Come to a deacon. We're, gonna, uh, we're working hard. That we're going to have out in the Welcome Center by the end of the summer some organization that you can go say, hey, what are the deacons overseeing things? What are the key leaders? So you can say, you know, I'm gifted. That I'm going to go solicit my help. And maybe you see on that list, this isn't happening. We'll, we'll step up to the plate. Let's do it. And we want to equip you and prepare you to do just that. So some of you right now, your hearts are stirring. There's things that have been on your heart, things that are burdening you. And I want to tell you, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to. Joshua never went. He's a pastor almost. We're working on that. He's leading the student ministry, never went to seminary. Kyle Kingery came up to me and he said, hey, I hear a lot going on about the jail ministry. Let me just take that off your plate if you don't mind. No seminary. No seminary. Half our community groups are led by non-seminarians. You can lead here. You just have to be willing to work with the team and be willing to give your life. And in that way, we'll build something that lasts. Okay? Let's pray and let's sing with one closing song. Lord, may we be doers of the word, not hearers only. Lord, I have to say that to myself, and Lord, I'm thankful for all the wise people you have put in my life. I think of the plurality of elders, I think of the gifted deacons and key leaders and, and just senior saints and fixtures in this church, Lord, that you have perfectly spitted 
to do the ministry that you're calling this church to do. And little Lord, I pray that, that me as the lead pastor would lead us in that type of ministry, that type of leadership, that I would model that for us. And, and Lord, where I fail, or I pray that fellow leaders would come alongside me and say, hey, here's how we can do this better. And Lord, you give me ears to hear. And Lord, I pray that you would build upon the solid rock the gospel of Jesus Christ here and that we would not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to all who believe and all God's people said